One of the most beautiful things in life is when we embrace our journeys. You know, growing up as a kid, I loved riding my bike. Getting on the bike, it just, it gave me such a sense of freedom. I was always the type of person who wanted to explore. You know, my mom would tell me, hey, don't go over there. Don't cross that street. And what did I do? I crossed the street. I needed to find out for myself. I needed to investigate. I needed to travel. I needed to go on my journey. And in today's episode, we talk about a beautiful journey that started in the Netherlands. Took us all over the world. In this episode of the Freer Energy Podcast, we talk with a champion, Annika Beerton. The stories she shares, the depth, the emotion, it's all real. I think at this point in life, what we owe ourselves is to find a genuine way to live, a genuine way to think, and the most genuine path for ourselves. Here's my conversation with Annika. I hope you get back on your bike in the figurative sense and the literal sense get back on your bike get back on your path get your life flowing again get into a state of flow here we go Annika thank you for joining the free your energy podcast thank you for having me how are you doing today I'm doing very well thank you yeah beautiful weather in Los Angeles uh, per usual or what um, actually, it has been raining most of the week, and today is finally the first day that the sun is out again. So, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to get to get some sun again. Yeah, sun is always good. I think that's one thing that probably hasn't been talked about during this period where we're doing like the social distancing is people getting sunlight, you know, getting enough sun and just like getting fresh air. How is it in LA? Are you guys completely locked down and like not allowed to leave your house or are you able to get outside for a walk? Like how do they have it set for you right now? Um, we are not on a complete lockdown. We are still able to go outside for exercising and you know like like you said like get some get some vitamin D, get some little bit of sunshine. Um, but you know you do notice that not a lot of people go outside that much. You know, most people are trying to stay inside. And the same for me, when I go out for exercising, I don't go as long as I used to. I, I you know, keep keep it a little bit shorter and try to be aware of, uh, you know, not going to places where everybody is hiking, running or biking. Right, right. I hear you. So I'm looking at the weather in um, Amsterdam, Netherlands, and they're saying that it's 55 degrees Fahrenheit right now, which would be 13 13 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. And that's a place that's familiar to you, right? Yeah, that's home. That's home for me. I have not been there, and I'm sure many of my listeners have not been to the Netherlands. Tell us what it was like as a kid, you know, as a as a young as a young girl out there. What was it like living in the Netherlands? 
Um, the Netherlands is definitely different than California. Um, you know, our country is so small, so little, uh, com- definitely comparing it to, uh, you know, the U.S. Um, but it is a very beautiful country. It's very flat. Um, we have a lot of farming, a lot of people as well in that tiny little country. But yeah, growing up there, it um, it was really fun. I really enjoyed living there. Um, I grew up in the country fields. Um, my dad was a, a car mechanic and he had a shop next to the house and kind of, yeah, that's how I, that's how I grew up. And was it just you and your dad or, or, or are there siblings? Uh, was mom around? Yeah, mom was around. Mom um, was also working from home at the beginning. She was a hairdresser and um, I have a sister. Uh, she's two years older than me. And um, yeah, that was just the four of us. Okay. So the four of you and were you and your sister pretty close? Uh, we were very different from each other. <laughs> we mm. were, we are a lot closer now than I guess when we were kids. Um, and I think every, you know, like everybody that has brothers or sisters, you know, when you're younger, you, uh, not, don't always get along as much, but we never really had big arguments. We just had very different interests in the things that we did. She was always the type of person that would play with the Barbies. And, um, I was the person that hung out with my dad and I rode bikes and that's, yeah, we just had very different interests. Very different interests. Okay. Yeah. And then walk me through like, what is it actually like? Because me personally growing up in Chicago, Mm -hmm. you know, living in Tempe, Arizona, I'm used to city living and I don't really have a great imagination for the places that I haven't seen, you Mm -hmm. know? So walk me through like, how did it look where you lived? You know, where the, and I know this question may sound ignorant, but I'd rather be ignorant and get the Mm -hmm. truth than assume. So, you know, were there, were there roads? Was it like a big structured city? Is it just complete country? Like walk me through like the infrastructure of how things looked around you when you were growing up. Yeah, it was um, definitely no big city close by. The closest big city would probably be like 15 to 20 minutes drive. And from a young age on, I always um, had to ride my bike everywhere. <laughs> so from the age of five, I rode my bike to school, which was 10 minutes. And then when I went to high school, the bike ride was 30 minutes. And then when I went to college, the bike ride to my college was 50 minutes. So yeah, so and the closest bus station, because especially in the winter time when the weather was pretty miserable, um, they would have, you know, special bus stops in the winter time to get to school but it still you know I still needed to ride my bike like for 15 minutes to get to the bus stop <laughs> but it's very different yeah you know like you you plan to do grocery shopping because the grocery store is not next door it's a 10 minute drive by car and um yeah very used to a different kind of living I guess than when you're in the city you rely on your neighbors a lot um We had animals, we had two donkeys and some sheeps (laughs) and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we had a a big property as well. So we always worked on the property a lot, you know, helping mom and dad out maintaining it. Um, because you you have a big garden and you do have animals and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely different. I would imagine them, for example, like you, you know, growing up in a city like Chicago, it's like the two opposites. 
of of it. Totally different. I can tell you right now, I don't know anyone who owned a donkey and sheep. I can tell you that. <laughs> so with the donkey and sheep, uh, are they are they pets like a cat or a dog is a pet? Or are they like, do they produce something that you use? Or like, do they like, what's kind of like the function of, of them? So the main reason why we had them is uh, to keep the grass short. Um, you know, they, they eat off the grass and they're normally from other people, from other farmers around that are looking um, to have the animals graze somewhere. And so, you know, my dad would offer our field to have the animals graze there um, for the time being. Um, so that's basically why we had them. And they're pretty awesome, though. Only like you probably wouldn't know, but donkeys make a lot of noise. They can like scream. It's insane. <laughs> do you were you guys like cutting the grass like cutting the lawn like with the lawnmower or was it just up to the animals to keep the grass maintained um i around the house we would we would use the lawnmower obviously but in the fields we would have we would we would have the animals do that yeah 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 it's kind of funny because like we were surrounded by a lot of farms but then my my dad had the had the shop you know the car garage where he worked from as a car mechanic um, and I would say like in the area that we live, that was still very normal because it's not till probably the past 20 years that we had the big cities where we have all the dealerships, you know, like nowadays you go to the dealer if you want to buy a new car or get a new car. But back in the day, uh, when my dad started the garage, like, you know, 40 years ago, it was very normal to start, um, something like that in the local area, you know, people would just drive from places to, you know, to go to a place like that for the service that they get from a person. Mm. Wow. And then what about extended family? Did, did you have any grandparents or cousins around? Yeah, I had grandparents, uh, grandparents from my mother's side and from my dad's side. Um, they both passed or they all four passed away already. Um, but I still have good memories from them you know and um yeah they always had good stories and some not good stories you know like they they've experienced world war ii so you learn a lot from you know the the memories that they have about about that time in their life and how they used to live compared to the way we live now you know with technology and everything that we have and i love those stories too. i think back of that very often Totally different experiences. Yes. So with them being in the around during the World War II days, and then Netherlands being right there next to Germany, were your, mm -hmm. your grandparents in the Netherlands at the time of the war? Or were they somewhere else? Like, where, where, where were they at? Yeah, they were in the Netherlands. Yeah, they were in the Netherlands with the war. Yeah, we we they actually have one one of my uh, grandparents uh, had people hiding uh, as well um, from you know uh, Jews that they took care of. Uh, in the war so yeah that is pretty pretty crazy when you when you hear those stories as a kid you know that um yeah they took care of their families they took them under their wings and took a lot of risk with all of it you know by doing that wow there's definitely a, a very interesting connection with me talking to you right now and the guest that i just had on because he's actually jewish and he's actually in in Los Angeles, where you are now, currently in Los Angeles. Wow! And I, I always look at like the signs and like the things, like uh, coincidences and like mm -hmm. the perfect alignment of things. And I just, yeah. I just feel like 
I was supposed to speak to both of you guys. Uh, back amazing. to back. I just feel yeah. like just hearing your story already. So what I want to know is how you got to the point of, okay, you're in college and you're riding 40, 50 miles. You say, right? 40, 50 miles of college. Min- like, yeah. You- minutes. Minutes. Oh, minutes. How minutes, did you yeah. build up the stamina to go that far? Um, I think that was the only option you have <laughs> or okay. had at the time, you know, and, uh, as we all have, you know, like your parents go like, we used to have a ri- ride our bicycle as well to school. So you should ride your bicycle too, <laughs> you know, like don't complain. And uh, it was just a way of getting from A to B. And, you know, for the people that have been in the Netherlands, um, they know how many people ride bicycles. It's like our way of getting around and it, it makes it easy that our country is very flat. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, he didn't think about it. It was just, you know, how I grew up. That's, that's what we did. That's how I get, got to school and, um, you know, also developed my passion, obviously for riding bicycles. So, so talk to me about your passion for bicycles. What, how did, how did that get started? I, I know you were riding obviously because of the country and then you had to do it for survival, but you have a, you have been able to turn it into something competitive where into an actual career that you've been highly successful in. So how did you transition from, you know, I'm just a person riding on bikes because I love it to, Hey, I want to compete at this. And how did you even find out that you could compete in bikes? Like walk us through how you got started with that. I started like, I started riding my bike really young when I was three years old. And, um, I just did endless laps on this little crappy little bike that I had. It was nothing special, but I would just like nonstop, you know, my parents had to kind of pull me off of the bike for like for dinner. And um, one day a client of my dad came in the shop and he was like, hey, you should take that girl to the local BMX track. There is a little BMX track in the next town and you should take her. And so my dad took me. And from that day on, I I did not stop riding my bicycle. So it's it started with, you know, just like going to the track a, f- a few times and um soon you know the, the 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 drive was so so big that you know I wanted to do a little race and we started doing little races and then I found out that I was actually doing pretty okay you know and I wanted to do more races and that's how the whole thing developed you know I I started racing a lot um mainly in the in the Netherlands so national um but then when I was 15 I was I started racing internationally as well so um but this is all still you know racing BMX which is the, you know, a little bit of the smaller bikes over jumps uh, and stuff like that. What do you see in the Olympics now? Um, and yeah, I, I won world championships twice. And after that, I made the switch to mountain biking, which what I'm doing right now. And yeah, it's just been something I just love doing from the moment that I was a little kid till, you know, till now, till I'm, I'm 37 now. And I still enjoy going out on my bike every single day. So you, how old were you when you won your first BMX championship? Um, I think I was uh, six years old. I won the first national championships title. Yeah. It's so, in age categories, you know, just uh, yeah. like a lot of other sports. We, they, they, they put you in age categories first, and then after you go to the elite category. So at the age of six, you won a national championship in BMX. Yeah, correct. And that was, when we say national, what is that? Is that all of the Netherlands? Yeah, all of the Netherlands. Yeah, All of the Netherlands. Okay, so mm-hmm. you're the, at, at the age of six, 
you're already the best bike rider in the country at the age of six. Yeah. So when did you win your next championship? Um, well, the, the year after I won it again. So there were a few years in a row that I won the national championship. And at that point, you know, people around us were, you know, trying to convince my parents, like, you should take uh, Annika to like the world championships, you know, it's going to be, I don't know where, like, let's say it's going to be in Switzerland. But at the time, it was just really difficult for my parents to you know to to find the money to uh, to close the shop for like a few days and to take us, you know, to to out of the out out of the country. So I never really got to do that until I was fifteen, and we found we had some sponsors that chipped in to you know sent the whole family to England. So I went on my first big trip to England to do the World Championships. And that was a, you know, a big, a big life experience and it was amazing and I won. So it was just one of those things that, you know, I, I was very grateful that I had people that saw the, saw the potential in me, you know, of winning a world championships title. And we got funded by other people and I was like, oh my God, you know, that was so amazing. And then I got back home and the whole town was like, had, had, come out to celebrate with me so it was one of those things where I went it was it was pretty amazing thinking back of it you know of of like how that all went and uh yeah happened that was pretty cool wow that sounds incredible especially to that you were able to get your entire family to go on a trip uh, yeah yeah that was that was really special because the year after the world championships was going to be in Canada and of course, that is a lot more money than going to England uh, when you're from the Netherlands. So again, I was I was very lucky that I had a sponsor um, buying a ticket for me and my par- my my dad. So this time, my sister and my mom had to had to stay home. But you know, I was still able to to, to go to Canada a year after and um, race the World Championships over there. So yeah, that was pretty amazing. Okay, so when you when you went to England and you were comp- competing. How many people were you competing against? So, um, and, the, it, and the, these are all national champions. When you get to the world championship, it's yeah. all national champions who are brought together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't really know how many there were in my class anymore. Um, you have to, you have, you have certain rounds that you have to go through first until you get to the final. And once you're in the final, you're on the gate with eight other uh, girls. So, the so by the time you get to the gate with the top, it's literally the top yeah. eight in the world. Of yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. Of that age. Yeah. Top eight. Yeah. And yeah. then you won that in England and then you repeat again, you come to Canada, same situation. Yeah. Did you win that as well in Canada? Yeah, I won that as well. Yeah. Where, uh, where was that at in Canada? Uh, Saskatoon. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally the middle of nowhere. I was gonna see you like, oh, was it in Toronto? Like Yeah, no, no. Are really cool. Yeah. Okay. And then so at this point you're uh, what, sixteen, seventeen years old? Yeah, sixteen years old. Yeah. And are you still doing school at the time? Yeah, still doing school at the time as well. Yeah. And wow. internship as well. So you were doing school, doing your internship, and then doing your biking thing. Now, at the age of you know, 15, 16, 17, is there, I know you had the sponsors, but is there, is there actually like a payment that comes in or is there money that comes in for winning, competing, or is it not set up like that? Like, how does that end of it work? No, nothing. So there, at, at that age, there's no really like money coming in or prize money or anything like that. You just do it for the love of the sport. 
And, you know, for me, it was always like in the back of my mind, I, I, I hoped to, I was hoping to be a professional rider one day, you know, that was my dream. And, um, I was just hoping that one day I would find, you know, the sponsors that would get me on board on their team and I could become a professional cyclist, but that still took a couple of years. It, it, that happened basically when I started changing my career from racing BMX into mountain biking. And that kind of happened when I was 17, 18. That's when I made the move to mountain biking. Okay. So you jumped to mountain biking yeah. around 17, 18. Yeah. And then also at that time, your body starts to change, you know, because at least I know for me, I did, I, I played football and ran track. So around, you know, 16, 17, 18, I noticed my body started changing. I started grown into your, you know, the man body. Yeah. Did you experience that as well, where you got, you got taller, you got stronger, um, you know, puberty, like, did you experience a change in your body and did that affect you in a like negative or positive way as far as like your performance? Oh yeah, definitely. It, it definitely changes, you know, everything that you do and not only puberty is changing your body, but also you're right in, right in that lifetime where you go like, am I going to go out with my girlfriends they're gonna go like out they're gonna go party or am I gonna stick to my training plan or am I gonna stick to you know I have to race this weekend so I can't really go out so there was a lot in that around that time when you like you know your puberty where you like have to make a lot of decisions and and what you want to do you know and um those are definitely not easy because I always felt like I was different and I was different you know because a lot of my friends and girlfriends they were not into cycling and they were not into um, cars and motors, but I was, you know, so I always felt really different from the girls that I was hanging out with. And that was not always an easy thing, especially when you think about it, you know, 20, 20 years ago, or even 25 years ago, we, we lived in such a different time that we were living in now, you know, like now you can see what everybody does through social media. But back then I had to kind of, you know, I was who I was and I didn't really knew a lot of other girls that would ride bicycles other than the the, the few girls that you would race against, you know? Right. So yeah, that, that, that was definitely not an easy time in life for sure. Not. So at that time of your life, between the age of 18 and 22, where you're making changes, figuring out, you know, who you are and what you want to do. Did you have a best friend? Who Who was your best friend at the time? Uh, yeah, definitely. I had a, I had a best friend in high school, um, Chantal, and she always like supported me with whatever I, whatever I did. And she knew that I, I had to like skip out on some like get togethers or trips that we planned and that I wanted to, you know, focus on my riding and racing and hopefully get a career in that one day. And then you guys now, do you still have that friendship? Uh, not as much anymore. She's still in the Netherlands and, um, she has a family now and we still have contact a little bit through Facebook, um, but not as much anymore as we used to. Okay. And then, so then you got into mountain biking. So walk us through that, like the switch, the change to mountain biking. Switch to mountain biking. Yeah. I had, I had somebody reaching out to me if I was interested in, um, trying to ride, uh, for a mountain bike team that they, that they, that we had a mountain bike, a few mountain bike teams in the Netherlands. And then one mountain bike team was like, Hey, we're looking for a girl that has some good 
bike handling skills and we think Annika could be a really good fit for a team, do you think she wants to like hop along on a training camp? And I went along on the training camp and I was like, man, this is awesome. I want to do this. This is, this is so cool. You know, like it was a new challenge for me, new people around me and mountain biking was, you know, a bigger sport. There was more sponsor sponsoring in it. And um, that's how I kind of rolled into it. But being a girl from a flat country like the Netherlands and, you know, hardly traveled anywhere, <laughs> I had no clue what I got myself into. <laughs> so the first time they, I kind of like, you know, went to the south of France and saw mountains and palm trees. And I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, my first road trip. And it was amazing. Uh, but I had to learn a lot. I had to start at the bottom again. You know, I, I, I was very comfortable with racing BMX, but mountain biking was a whole new, a whole new challenge. And, um, it definitely took me a few years to get the hang of it and and I had to really work my way up and but I think I was I was around 24 when I was able to might have been 23 23 when I was able to uh to quit my job I was working at a record store uh, in the Netherlands and I was able to quit my job and start working or riding professionally so yeah that was pretty awesome So how did you know you could quit the job or needed to quit the job like how did how did you know you needed to I mean I know for me personally when I became an author I knew that if I didn't go all the way in and invest all the way in into writing to creating that I just I just didn't feel like the final product would have been that good you know no exactly I was working in sales and yeah. so what I, what I did was I saved up like thirty thousand dollars US mm -hmm. dollars I didn't go out. I didn't party. I didn't do anything. I saved up for about a year. And then I just focused on my craft, which was what I wanted to do while I was playing sports. But it was like a conflict. Like you, you, you have to be all in with your sports. You can't be, you know, so I allowed myself to give my all to my sports. Then I got into sales. I got into working into, uh, working in the sales management after that. And then once I realized like, okay, I've been doing this for three years. This is not, this is not what I want to do is taking me away from being an author, which is where I need to be. I saved up the money and I quit and I say, Hey, I saved up 30,000. I need to be able to make it work, you know? And, you know, thankfully eight years later, nine years later now, you know, it all worked out. What was that moment like for you, you know, quitting the record store? Did you have money saved? Did you have support? Where were you living? Walk yeah. me through that, that whole time period. Yeah, I was still I was still um, living at home at the moment, and I'm like I feel like my story and your story also. When I from your previous podcast, I feel like there are things that we have in common a little bit, or a lot of things that I I've done the same way as you kind of you know done it in your life. And I was the same. I saved a lot of money. I didn't go out that much, and I worked and. A lot of times I feel, felt like, you know, I was slacking on my training side because I either had to work, I had to work out really early in the morning before I would go into my job. And then I come home late at night and re didn't really have time to put in another workout. And especially, you know, the winters are, the, you hardly have any daylight in, in the Netherlands in the winter time. And it was really hard to recover, get my training in. And I felt like as soon as the season came around, I wasn't really prepared. You know, I felt like I was kind of slacking. Um, so, and then I, at one point I, I got the offer from the national federation of the, the cycling federation in the Netherlands to help me out with 
uh, fundings, my month, a monthly funding. So I can quit my job and, you know, start training professionally and racing professionally. And I was like, right away, I was like, I, I gotta do this. I gotta, I want to do this because I know I have more in me to get better and to, you know, to be faster and get stronger. Um, but I just had to take a little bit of risk as well, but like you, you know, like I had some money saved in my account and I knew like with a little bit of income, instead of like, you know, going to work at the record store, um, going to be a full-time athlete, I was like, I need to take this, this opportunity right now. I know it's going to be a risk, but I'm willing to take it, you know? So that's where I was like, okay, this is, this is it. This is the time that I want to make a change. So your life pretty much told you, and you just listened to the signals, your life told you like, Hey, you need to do this now. Like there needs to be some sense of urgency and you, you listen to yourself and you follow through with how you felt. My question is this, if you would have stayed at that record store, what would you be doing right now? Well, definitely not working at the record store anymore because they're all gone. <laughs> Nobody's buying records anymore. <laughs> Um, I probably would still be doing something. I, I, I always have that drive in me of working hard. It, it's, it's really a thing that my parents told me when I was younger, you know, we always had to work at, at, at home and, um, we definitely had to earn, earn our stuff. And, um, I think I would still have that in me. I'm not really sure what I would be, be doing, but I think I definitely would think into sport because I've always been into sports. Doesn't matter like kind of what, if it's like soccer, basketball, you know, bicycles, running, I like working out. So I would imagine it would be something in that. As a mountain bike rider, what's one of your biggest failures that you've experienced? Um, My biggest failure, I think it took me a long time to become world champion in mountain biking. And that was in the big clash, you know, it was in the elite women. So that's the, the highest medal you can win, you know, a gold medal at the world championships. It, you know, it's even bigger. It was bigger for me than in BMX and it took me forever to win it. It wasn't until, um, nine years ago. So in 2011 that I won my first title in the world championships. And before that I was failing a lot. I was so close. I got I got silver medals twice. I, ha I had bronze medals. I got, I crashed. I injured. I got disqualified once. And that whole buildup, like every year not winning, but being really close felt like such a failure. I, I, there was one year, I must have been uh, 2010, that I crashed in the last corner before the finish line while I was leading. And I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep after that. That was like, the worst day ever, you know, like I worked so hard for that race and I felt like nothing could stop me. I felt like I, I felt so good and strong. And then my front wheel washed out with the finish line in sight. And that was it. That was my dream. You know, I was like, shoot, another year I have to like get myself back together and try to win it next year, you know, and the pressure only got harder and harder and people will come up to you and people will be like, Oh, are you going to think you're going to win it this year? Uh, you know, like they, they, people start talking to you like that. And in your mind, you're like, of course, you know, I want to win it. And, and I'm not going to quit until I win it, you know? Um, so, but yeah, the leading up to that, I felt like I had a few big failure moments um, until I did win it. So. 
So when you see and, and when you feel that front wheel, uh, you say it washing out. When you feel it washing out, what it, first of all, what does that mean? What, is it, what does it look like? How does it feel? Did you topple over and just like fall to the ground or did you just kind of slip? Like what, it, what does that mean? Yeah, I kind of slipped. Uh, the ground was very like uh, loose and, you know, you're, you're 100, 110% in it. So there's no, I can't, I can't not go 110% because you want to win that race. And that was just too much. You know, I had to, I should have backed off a little bit more and be more in control. But in that moment, it was just like, it was all basically all or nothing, you know? And, um, yeah, I crashed. And that moment was just like devastating, you know, like I almost felt, I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed coming across the finish line. You know, you're sad, you're, it's hard to express yourself. People want to lift you up, but you don't want to be lifted up because you just, your dream just washed out in the, in that last corner, you know? So, um, it's a lot of emotions to deal with at the time. And it's not fun for the, it was not fun for the people around me as well. I was not so enjoyable for, for a couple of weeks after, but you learn from it. Don't get me wrong. I learned a lot from all of that, from the whole process. I, I learned a lot and I came out a lot stronger. Are you over it now? Do you think you got over it? Like the emotional part of it? Yes. Yeah. I got what over helped, it. Yeah. What helped you get over it? Um, just life experience, like just dealing with more of those races and, and really appreciating when I do win a race, because it's not normal. It's not that you just rock up on every race and you're going to win, you know, I, you're going to lose a lot more races than you are going to win, you know, and you got to remember that. And, and the moments that you do win, um, you got to appreciate it. You got to be happy for yourself and you got to be stoked. And, you know, even now, like when I'm older, I feel like I've learned that so much more. Like I got third this past year in 2019, uh, twice, uh, one time in the overall and in the world championships, I got third as well. Um, but it was almost like winning a gold medal because the younger generation is getting faster. I'm a little bit older now and I had, I I had lost two of my best friends last year in uh, five months upon, apart from each other. And like getting a, like getting that third place almost felt like winning, winning to me. So I think like, you know, over the years, I learned a lot from all those experiences in the past. And you learn that, you know, you should sometimes be happy with a third place or, you know, like with, when you'd win, you got to really appreciate those moments. I really appreciate your vulnerability with that. And um, it makes me think about how we need to define what success is and what happiness is and what what winning is. I mean, someone like you, you're in, in your industry, you're one of the most decorated champions of all time. And here you are saying that you wanted to honor and respect that third place and how that third place was just a triumphant moment for you. Yeah, yeah. And, it- it's crazy. Like, like even that moment right now gives me goosebumps. Mm. You can, you can still feel it. Like when you got that third, you can still feel it. Yeah, You can still feel that. See, and that, I'm so glad you shared that because sometimes we, we have this, this perfect, this perfected image of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to achieve. And it's like, I think some people don't have the happiness that they're entitled to because they're only waiting for those moments where it's, hey, I I am literally the champion and I'm on top of the world. But if you just take 
gratitude for the training sessions, for being able to just being able to even compete, you know, at your highest, knowing that you're bringing the best package that you have. Like there's just so much gratitude there and also closure because you know that you gave your best. You know, when I was playing arena football, I wanted to get to the NFL. All right. Played in college, messed up in college and had to play arena football as a way to try to get to the NFL. Well, with the NFL, there's a certain window based on age. You know, younger is better. So my mindset was, if I get to be 23 years old and I'm not in the NFL, my window was gone. Mm-hmm. For me, this was a development of like a 20-year dream. I wanted to do two things. I wanted to become an author and I wanted to play professional football. Specifically, I wanted to play for the Chicago Bears, where I'm from. I had this whole theory about how I was going to get drafted to the Chicago Bears and play in front of my friends and family and stuff, right? Just, mm-hmm. you know, how kids dream. Well, when I got to be 21, 22, I had to be honest with myself. I wasn't getting into the NFL. I wasn't, that 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 wasn't my purpose. That wasn't really what I was put here for. I was put in those positions of sports to learn from sports, to learn how to sharpen my mind, to learn how to stay committed, to learn how to stay disciplined. And the the, the reason I was able to walk away with complete closure Never regret it. Never think about strapping up, strapping up that helmet again. It was because I gave it my all. And I really, really appreciated every single moment of it. And now I have, like, complete closure. So with your – you had a championship in 11 and in 12, but you, you, you lost it in 10. Is that right? That's the one with the tire? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, and then you, you won in 11 and 12. What happened the next couple of years? Were you still competing? Yes. Uh, in the 2013, I had a crash in the final, so I was outside of the medals. And then the year after, I won it again in 2015. And then I decided um, to focus on some different series. We have different disciplines in mountain biking. There's like, you know, uh, the downhill, we have cross country, um, we have enduro racing, which is more like an endurance event. Um, so I was, I was ready to switch it up again to find a new challenge. And I started doing some different, um, yeah, some different riding. And actually that transfer went pretty well too. And in, in 2015, I had really, I had a really good year. One of my best years ever by winning other races. Uh, one of them, it's called the queen of Crankworks. It's multiple events. Um, and I won that. Uh, I won the European Championships that year. I got third in the World Cup overall. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that went very well. Uh, 2016, I got very sick. Um, never really was able to find out um, what what I got in me, but they were thinking some kind of bacterial infection or virus that was in my body. So the whole year, for most of the year, I was out. I was floored and um, it was a very difficult year. And after that... Um, Things got got better again in last season. I had a really good season in 2019. So, yeah. In 2015, when you had, you would say that that's your best year of your career then? That was a very good year. Yes. Yeah. What was going on in your life, in your personal life, uh, in your mindset away uh-huh. from away from that, you know, the the biking? Yeah, well, actually, there was a lot going on in my personal life because that was also the year that I broke up with um, 
my current boyfriend that I was with for eight years. So that was not the easiest year, uh, but somehow I've always been good at separating sport and my personal life. It has not been affecting me too much. Um, I think sport is a great outlet for, you know, everybody also in daily life. I think if it's, it's very, very peaceful and like no stress once you, you know, start riding your bike or start running. Um, but my personal life was definitely a bit of a roller coaster at the moment. Um, but body wise, I was just, I was in a good mindset, you know, I was ready, ready to tackle, tackle the world and the races. That's kind of how I felt. <laughs> Were you using motivation from, you know, like the negative energy of like going through a breakup or were you using what was going on around you that was like negative or low vibrational as a way to fuel you and your competitions? Yeah. 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 I would say yes. Yeah. And it's an, it was an escape, I would say as well. It was an escape for me to uh, ride my bike and to race. Um, You know, you build up some anger and it's, it's, it's great, a great way to let it out. You just, you know, let it out when you're all racing. And um, I think that we all have that as well. We we can, you know, relate to that or experience it. And um, yeah, that definitely, it, it has its ups and downs, you know, sometimes it can make you very sad, obviously. And, um, it's hard to get on, up on a race morning when you're not feeling it, but you still have to perform the best you can, you know, and you try to block your mind to all of the negatives because you got to stay in the positive, you know, you can't rock up on a race day and already feeling down, you know, that's, you don't even need to str- strap on your helmet if you're going to be like that, you know, uh, your mind needs to be a hundred percent in it. So in 2015, pick any race you want, visualize it in your head whatever race you want and walk us through what it feels like to be in a race. Um, uh, for me, the moment like I get in the gate, you know, and I'm geared up and ready to go. I feel like the world around me kind of shuts off. It's just me, my bike and the trail or, you know, the race ahead of me. And I know every little piece of the course, I know every little rock or drop or jump, and I know exactly how I'm going to ride it and where I need to put the pedals in. And I, I go through the memory. I tell myself, like, you know, I got I memory. I tell myself, like, okay, I got to think about my breathing. I got to ride aggressive. I got to look forward. And it's just like this probably because of doing it for that many years, it's like a routine that I go through, but basically I just know every step of the way that I'm, I'm going to, to race. And, um, from the moment, like you start racing, you just, you're just in it, you know, you have to be in it a hundred percent. And what's the typical distance of, of the races that you were doing in 15? Um, so there was a big variety because I was also racing downhill and downhill. It's just like downhill skiing, you know, downhill racing would only be a couple of minutes Our trails. The tracks would be very difficult and it would be like four to five minutes. But then I also would be doing, um, stage racing races, which are enduro races, which last up to six to eight hours. And in, in those six to eight hours, we have multiple stages. We call it special stages that are timed. Um, and at the end of the day, those special t- stages are 
being add up together and the person with the you know the least time will obviously win the race so i did all kinds of of, of different disciplines i've always liked that you know with my b- background in bmx um to do different kind of things that keeps everything very fun do you think so with bmx riding though that's speed right those yes, those sprints. distances are shorter right yes so do you think your success as in the youth at, with your bmx translated over to the sprint distances with your you know when you became a mountain bike bike rider yes exactly it, it did because i think it's really important to have a good um base and bmx is such a good base of any bike skills you know you learn to ride all kinds of different terrain you learn how to jump you learn how to sprint um so i think it's very important if you have that skill set you can develop in different kinds of cycling discipline doesn't matter if you're going to be a road cyclist or trek cyclist or mountain biker you have the bike handling skills and that's a, a very good skill to have from a young age in 2015 you moved in in 2016 and then you know you got sick and you said yeah. you were sidelined for a while mm-hmm. it sounds like you've always used biking for multiple things, you know, in your life. And one of those things was clearing energy, you know, especially like you said, you went through that breakup. Yeah. And so you kind of cleared some energy and emotions, but in 2016, you didn't have that. You didn't have that because you were yeah. sick. Mm-hmm. Were you feeling depression, um, some sense of like unfulfillment? Like what were you feeling in 2016 because um... of not being able to, you know, use what you've used to express yourself. I felt very lost. I felt lost in, um, like not recognizing what my body was doing. Um, I was sad because I couldn't race. I felt like I needed to show my sponsors, you know, you feel obligated to your sponsors that you want to, um, make them proud. You know, you want to go out there and race and, make the brands that you ride for proud and all of that I couldn't do. The only thing like I was, I was, I came back from a race um, overseas from um, Chile, I think it was. And that's after that I got sick. So they couldn't really figure out if I, there was something like I, I ate over there or that, you know, something got in my system. Um, And I was set on a lot of antibiotics and, nothing seemed to help. And I even, you know, had to do stool tests. It was, it was all, it was just no fun. I was so tired. I could sit behind a computer for 10 minutes. I could go back to bed and sleep, try to ride my bike for 30 minutes. Couldn't do it. Had to go back to sleep. And I was just like, I'm so tired. And I was like, man, what my, what's wrong. And I um, took a lot of rest, took a lot of time off, decided to still fly to Europe to do a race. And, um, I was racing and I couldn't even qualify. I was just, my body was telling me no. So I decided to go home to the Olympic training center in the Netherlands uh, to see, you know, one of the top doctors over there. And he put me on um, the bike for a few to, uh, VO2 max test. So I started pedaling and all of a sudden uh, the lady that was taking my test, she walked away and grabbed the doctor and she's like, just pedal slowly. Just like, don't go full out. And I was like, what's happening here? So the doctor came in and my heart was showing, um, how do you call that? Like a heart, uh, failure. Like, you know, like it wasn't showing up correctly. So it was skipping beats. So I immediately got to put on bed rest, um, 
for almost the rest of the season and had some other tests done and more uh, specific antibiotics to try to fight whatever it was in my in my system. Um, so that was a really scary time. It was it was I felt like it could have been you know I was thinking about the end of my career and how things were going and um, but luckily I you know I got out of it again and felt better again at the end of the year. And then not only was this impacting your health, but it, correct me if I'm wrong, this is your also your primary source of income yes. at the time. Yeah. So then there's that stress of, well, man, how am I going to pay this? And so you yeah. get extra stress. So how did just mentally, um, you get to 2017, 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. how did you use what you went through to 2016 to, you know, get to a better place? Like, what, what did that look like for you? I was just stoked to be out riding again. I was so happy to be out on my bike again. I was happy to see my friends again. And you really appreciate after a year off, like the life that I live, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I, that I get and the people that support me, the people that believe, you know, in my, in my dreams and, uh, the crazy adventures I go on. And I think after a year like that, you are so grounded, you know, you're so, you have such a different perspective again on, on life and what I, what I'm doing and the drive in me to show the people that I'm still able to compete with the best was just, it was just in me. You know, I had this big fire in me of like just wanting to get back in the, on the top step. And uh, yeah, 2018 was a slow step in the right direction. And then 2019, was a lot better, but then 2019 was, in another way, a, a very challenging year with, like I just said, um, two of my friends passing. So, you know, life is definitely a roller coaster. I... Were the friends, was that, to were they together at the time? or No, or... Um, no, in the end of June 30th, um, my best friend, Carlin passed away in a motorcycle race. So he was a very uh, good professional motorcyclist, road racer. Um, And yeah, he passed away um, of a head trauma. He had a crash. He was on his way to breaking the world record uh, on Pikes Peak in Colorado at the time where he was racing. And um, yeah, I never really lost anybody that was that close to me. And I could never really understand when somebody, you know, tried to explain to me what it was, what it was like to lose somebody or what grief was like. But now that I've experienced it, I can truly say it's, it's the most horrible feeling and experience I've ever um, experienced in my life. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think like, I don't think like now I understand a understand it a little bit better but for me when you're so close to somebody um like Carlin was like a brother to me and uh, you know I talked to him a lot we hung aloud a lot we rode bikes a lot together and then all of a sudden you get that phone call it's like the world stopped turning and I I literally went into a shock and that was just a, a loss like that is something um yeah, hard. It's hard to ex- to find words for it. Let me put it that way. I totally understand. Uh, I had a tough period in my life um, where my grandmother was my best friend. So I, it was her in 2011, and then 
went through a toxic relationship. I've only been in one toxic relationship in my life. So going through that, get out of that. And then my dad passes away 2014. Um, and then at that time, that's when I was at my job, quitting my job so I could become a writer. So that transition from me for like 2011 to 2014, it was just so hard. Um, not only did I move from Chicago to Arizona, but, you know, I had the toxic relationship, lost my grandmother, lost my father, transitioned to being a writer. And grief was definitely one of the hardest things of the of that time period. It's one, it's one of the hardest, hardest things. Like with my dad, I remember, you know, he went to the hospital and I remember he texted me and uh, he's like, yeah, I'm just letting you know I'm at the hospital. So um, I said, OK, I'm going to I'm going to give you a call. He was like, no, don't worry about it. It's cool. Like, I'm, I'm all right. I'll be out tomorrow morning. Um, so I called him anyways. And when I called him, he just had this like respirator on his mouth. Wow. And you all you just hear is like, like you just hear this like breathing noise. And I just remember talking to him and I'm just like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. He's like the doctor. You know, I was like, I couldn't really breathe too well. So I came in. The doctor's are going to be doing some tests. And he goes, Hey, I'll call you back. They're coming in the room right now. I say, okay. And then, um, he texts me a little later. He didn't call me right back. He texts me a little later and he's like, Hey, I'm actually kind of tired. I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay down. I'll call you in the morning. So, you know, uh, it was July 5th. So we talked that conversation we had was July 5th. I'm sorry, July 4th, Independence Day, American Independence Day. Mm -hmm. So I wake up July 5th and you know, my phone rings and it's my mom. Well, the thing about it is my mom is a night owl. My mother has never called me in the morning in my whole life, <laughs> ever. <laughs> so the second she's calling me at like 8.15 in the morning and I got up at like 6.30 this mor that morning um, and I'm work I got my workout in and it's like 8.15 and I'm just like, why is she calling me so early? Like, I know she's not up. You know, she's never up. So I answer the phone and she's just like, my mother's so dramatic. Like she is the stereotypical dramatic character that you see in a movie. And she's just like, are you sitting down? And I'm like, what? She goes, you need to sit down. And I said, I am sitting down. It's like, I'm in my car. I'm going to the grocery store to get some breakfast. I just got done working out. And she goes, okay, well you need to pull over. And I pull over. She tells me that my dad had just passed away and I actually had a text from him and a missed call from him that I didn't see. And he had called me and um, he called me and then he sh shot me a text right after. He said, hey, I just called you. Um, it says your voicemail box was full. Call me back. And that was like the last correspondence we had. That was the last. Was him. He tried to reach out to me like right before he passed away. And um, yeah, it's... Um, Definitely never told that story before on here. And, and really, I really don't share that kind of stuff with anyone, but it changes you, man. Grief, grief hits you in a way that it changes you. And I know for me, uh, I went to his funeral. I spoke at his funeral. I did not want to speak at his funeral, but I'm, I'm his oldest son and people wanted me to speak. And I'm grateful that I did it because there was a lot of closure for me personally. But then it also helped me in a way because it gave me an opportunity to heal other people, to speak to other people. 
And I was already in this in the space of, you know, cultivating a platform that's about self-empowerment, self-awareness, healing. Mm-hmm. And to be at his funeral and to give a speech and to have people laughing and, you know, to have people who were just in tears for an hour and a half, just shaking hands and crying of laughter, not necessarily of sadness. It it was like a big relief to me, you know, and um, it really taught me to just be grateful every day for life. It also taught me that my dad was 51. He was a young, he was young, you know, and that taught me that like I can't wait. I cannot wait to do the things I want to do in my life. Like in your story, you've had several opportunities where the theme is you are going to take advantage of your opportunity. And going to a funeral, I feel like it teaches you that. Like you have to take advantage of opportunity. You just you just don't know, you know. Even like look at the coronavirus right now. We're all just sitting at home. Mm-hmm. Like how many of us are going to be so grateful again when we could just get back to our quote unquote regular life? You know, and like speaking to you, you've really talked to us about gratitude a lot. Do you have a meditation practice or do you journal? Do you have like a a, a practice of gratitude that you do? Um, Prayer, anything of that nature? No, a little bit of meditation. Um, And I like to tell myself to be in the now a lot. Um, And like you said as well, like once something like that happened, you're got to realize like how grateful you have to be for the life that you have right now, because you don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow, you know? And um, it's kind of crazy to hear that you said too, because like I spoke at his funeral as well. Um, afterwards, we had a, a get together in, in a beautiful garden and I was so nervous about it, but there was this this one story that I really wanted to share with, you know, everybody that was there. And it was actually a kind of like a funny story of like, Carlin breaking his foot in multiple places, but never complained the whole way from the moment he broke his foot at the at the track that we were that day until he was in the hospital. You know, like he he never complained. And I I really wanted to share that story. And it was like a little bit of a closure for me as well. You know, like you try to share like the positive, the positive things that a person teaches you, you know, and Try to take those positive things with you that that person was and put it in yourself, you know, try to remember how you, what you liked about that person and try to take that with you. I think that's very important, or it was, at least it's important to me. Uh, I totally hear that. You definitely want, I feel like that's one of the ways we heal from grief is allowing it to inspire us somehow some way everyone i have a different way but like you say it's like you're you're taking something from that person with you and keeping it with you in a positive way i think i feel like that's one of the best ways uh to heal from grief so with biking if a person's listening to this podcast and they're saying hey i want to get on my bike now Mm -hmm. (laughs) These, these these guys have been talking about bikes like I want to get on my bike, just a casual rider. What would you, what are some of the things you will recommend for them to, you know, just getting started as an adult, an adult, just getting started, trying to see if maybe they have a passion for biking, maybe not necessarily competing, but just getting on their bike. What would you recommend? Um, I would say just do it, you know, go to your local bike shop or 
I'm sure everybody has that one friend that rides a bike, you know, and um, they probably always talk about it too. <laughs> so I would say reach out to them and uh, just start by, you know, getting on that bike and getting those first pedal strokes in. Because I think the moment you start doing it, you'll know why so many people like riding their bicycles. I know you ride your bike a lot too. And, you know, it just gives you this peaceful moment where you forget a lot of worries, a lot of stress. And for me, like riding my bike is being so much in a moment, just what we talked about being in the now and being in nature and feeling that freedom and, you know, feeling like you're that little kid again that tried to, that got, you know, learned how to ride a bike. And I think just by, you know, starting by getting a bike or finding somebody that, you know, rides a lot and um, just, you know, start get after it do you ever get on the um the stationary bikes i the do ones that, like you do you do that as well yes okay so what's your you know a training day like what what does that look like for you um a training day so now it's a little bit different because i'm trying to stay at home a lot um so this morning i start off with a run i run uh for 10 to 15 minutes as a warm-up um, I'm lucky to have some, um, like gym equipment in my garage at the moment. Uh, so I did some core and then I did my weightlifting workout, like an hour and a half of, um, you know, just, uh, squats and cleans and box, box jumps and stuff like that. And then after that, I jumped on my stationary bike that is in my house and spent the legs legs for 30 minutes. So I got a proper, um, two hour workout in this morning. Um, and then tomorrow I'll go on a road ride. So I'll take my road bike out and I'll go on a road ride. And normally I would ride a mountain bike too quite a bit uh, during the week, but now a little bit less just because of the coronavirus. And um, yeah, there's still quite a few people out on the trails. So I'm trying to avoid the trails a little bit at the moment. But normally twice a day I do a workout if I'm in the season um, with yeah riding bikes, doing a lot of gym and yeah, just, you know, trying to stay fit. <laughs> Is the road ride more for like distance and like yes. what or time? Like how how far will you go? Um, normally, I would say for between the depending on the day, but between the thirty and eighty miles, I would say right now, yeah. And how long does that take? How long does thirty take? How long does eighty take? Uh, <laughs> oh God, I don't even know. <laughs> I have to look back at my stats. <laughs> Uh, not too 30, not too long. Um, and 80, God, I don't even know, but normally somewhere around like an hour and a half to, uh, three to four hours, 80, a little bit longer, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, can you look at, and I want to, I want to know how long that 80 is. I'm really curious. I did the, I did a hundred miles last year and a hundred miles took me, took me six hours. Six hours, hundred yeah. miles. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I know it that's was like actually a thing. from it was from here to San Diego, so it was from Foothill Ranch to San Diego, so that was pretty cool. How'd you get back? Uh, we had somebody pick us up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you just called someone like, "Hey, uh, pick me up in San Diego, bring me back." Hey. Any and they're like, "How are you gonna get here? Oh, I'm gonna ride there." <laughs> wow <laughs> something like that <laughs> and then okay if you go on a six-hour ride but you're gonna have to eat during that right you're, yeah like, do you stop or you just kind of have it in the pouch and eat 
Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, a little bit of both. Snacks along the way at gas stations. And um, just uh, I'll take food with me as well. Some gels and like make a sandwich. Just, you know, like good old peanut butter jelly sandwich goes a long way. And um, fuel up and yeah, buy that. I, it allows me to buy a Snicker bar at the gas station, you know. <laughs> so right. makes me makes me happy too. Two and so, one, riding a bike and eating. So they go they go together very well. So I did 15 miles the other day, and I'm I was proud of myself. Nice. And no, that's not nice because you just told me you did 100 <laughs> to San Diego, <laughs> making me. I, I got to step my game up here. I got to at least get to 20. So yeah, you so can do how that. does someone like me, where 15 is like my uh. That's kind of like my peak right now. How do I go from 15 to 20? Mile by mile, you know, you'll, you'll get it. It's, it's, you'll, you just have to put your mind to it. And those five miles will, will, will be easy. You got that. No problem at all. And you're used to pushing yourself too. you know, you, you, you're familiar with, you know, football and uh, pushing your body to the limit and trying to see how far you can push your body. You know, I'm sure that is already in you. You, you know how you want to, you want to get to that goal. So I'm pretty sure you got that dialed. One thing I really like about riding, you know, a distance is if you ride away from your house, you know, one of the things that I tell myself is like, eventually you do have to turn around and that is like the motivation for me when I when I get to a point, like when I did the 15 miles, I got to like eight miles and then I was ready to turn around because I ended up somewhere I'd never seen before. And I didn't it didn't look very like it wasn't very uh, safe. Let's just say I rode in a direction okay. I never went. And so I'm telling myself, I'm like, OK, uh, I probably need to turn back and go home now. And my motivation going back home was, hey, I have to get home. Like, I have to finish this, mm-hmm. you know? And it like that back half was so motivating for me. But then the front half, it was so liberating because I, I knew I was riding into a space I'd never seen before. So it was like, okay, let's see what's over here. I'm so curious to see this space. So there was like a spiritual element of the ride for me, um, going and then going to and going from. Like, I got something out of it. Yeah. Do you ever like, like, what do you think about when you're on your rides? Like, what does your mind do? Um, you know, I kind of like what you just said, because I feel sometimes like um, if I get lost somewhere, it's the only way for me to find new places. You know, sometimes you have to get lost in your bike and you'll find amazing new places. But um, I there is a sometimes a double feeling when I go ride the bike because it is work, it is training. So the mind is definitely like looking down at my com- computer, trying to see how my heart rate is or, you know, the, the watts that I'm pushing out or the amount of miles that I'm doing. Um, but it is just really a great peace of mind. You know, I just love the freedom of riding a bicycle and I love feeling fit and that I'm able, that my body is capable of doing all that. Um, you know, our bodies are pretty amazing machines and our brain too, you know, it's very complex, but it's pretty amazing to see what we can all do with it. And, um, yeah, riding a bike has always been a a freedom for me. Tell me one of your passions outside of the bike. Um, music. Listening to music, playing music, creating music. What is it? 
listening to music. I would say I wish I was, I wish I had a talent of playing the guitar or something, but unfortunately never learned that when I was younger. I'm trying now, but it's not really been successful, but <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love music. Um, definitely always been a passion. I love going to concerts. Uh, went to Phil Collins last year, saw Metallica, Guns N' Roses, like, it's just something like a great outlet for me next to riding bikes. And um, that's a good, great passion of mine. Other than that, um, uh, just my friends, hanging out with my friends, going camping, uh, be outside. That's definitely a few of the favorite things of what I like to do. You named some elite musicians mm. uh, just there. Those are not regular musicians. Those are elite. Yeah. Elite. Phil Collins. Metallica yeah. has a song called Enter the Sandman. Uh -huh. And I used to listen to that um, before football games because that song, like the way they, the buildup in that song, man, it just like, it just used to, used to just give me the perfect motivation to go out there and run into people full speed. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And that's, that's the power of music, you know, like um, I love that you were saying in one of your podcasts as well, like, you know, when you're feeling down, don't put put on, I don't know what it was, Leona Del Rey or something or Adele. Oh, and the weekend, the old weekend. Yeah, yeah I remember that and one. I, I was like, I was like the other day, like, uh, I actually have a hard time. Well, this is the side story, but like, I have a hard time listening to Phil Collins now because when I was just talking about my two friends passing away. So five, five months after Carlin passed away, I went to Vegas with a really good friend of mine, Chet. And um, we met up in Vegas to go to Phil Collins. Um, and that was Phil Collins's last um, concert. And we didn't know that it was his last, last, last one. And it was such an amazing night. We had such a great weekend. You know, we went to Phil Collins. Um, we, did, we drove cars at the Speed Vegas thing. And it was like a lot of fun the whole weekend. But then a week later, when I was home, I got a phone call from my best friend that lived close to chat and um he's like just like we said are you are you sitting down i'm like well what, what do you mean what's what's happening and well chat passed away yesterday i'm like what um so my friend chat passed away of a heart attack also at a young age he was uh 51 and it was just a week after we went to phil collins and i was finally just feeling like i was doing better after you know the whole grief process that i just went to and like that happening just put me back right at rock bottom which was um pretty intense and pretty hard but looking back on all that now i can say you know like you get stronger out of all of it and you have to you know you gotta appreciate life as it is right now i appreciate you sharing some of your stories with us today there is so much to unpack there so much to learn from you uh you just keep rolling pun intended you just keep rolling exactly you just regardless keep, of what's going on you keep rolling you got to keep pedaling pedal by pedal you know keep pedaling in, in order to move forward that's have, all we have you do. written a book yet have i written a book yet no i have not no yeah you're gonna need to yeah, I think I can fill some pages up. <laughs> yeah, there, you have a you have a lot of content for that book. You got to yeah. need to. I'll be your first. Uh, definitely pre-order that book. I will be the first one. Nice one. Well, and I think so, a, a lot a lot of the stuff that um, 
you know, I go through in life as well, and especially the last couple of years. Um, I think my favorite was uh, Lust for Life, the book for me. Uh, I felt like very connected with that book as well. I've, but the first book was uh, Dear Love Life. That was also after the breakup. And I learned a lot from that. And I think it's like so powerful how words can, you know, help a person like me as well, you know, move on with life and learn learn things in life and um, that we're not alone in this, you know, we're not alone in this thing called life. And yeah, we, we struggle with all kinds of things, but we also, we got to appreciate all the goods and the positives because life is really beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I, I totally agree with you, man. You're a champion in, in your sport, in your profession, and you have struggles. You know, I, I consider myself to be a champion in, in my art and what I'm doing. I have struggles, but, you know, we just got to keep pedaling. You know, I think that it's very important to, you know, honor the energy of what you're feeling, what you're going through, what you're, what you're dealing with. Um, but I also think it's just as important to have goals, to have purpose, to have things to strive for, to have those passions, to have things that, that keep pushing you. And life is really just the balance of the two, yeah. you know, it's just the balance of the two. And a lot of, a lot of it, uh, the way we balance it is up to us. It's up to our choice. And, you know, that's why I wanted you on here because I knew you had some incredible stories. I follow you on your Instagram and you, uh, I love the videos that you post where you're just like riding through hills and, um, you know, like you either have the GoPro or there's like a drone behind you or the yeah. person behind you is recorded. Like, I just love it because it's like, I'm on the journey with you, even if it's, you know, I'm not doing the full ride with you, but I'm just there for like 30 seconds. Like, I just yeah. love that, that piece. So I would just love for you to, to keep posting those and like keep creating that. Where, what, what, what is your, you know, where we can find you, your Instagram, your Facebook, tell us where we can find all of your content. Uh, all of my content. So social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, website, it's all uh, my name, Anneke Beerten. So yeah, you can find me there on there. Okay. Do you have any videos out of like a, like a full race or like, does that type of content get made? Yeah, I have uh, I have one of my GoPro runs. I recently uploaded that as well. One of my uh, uh, that was my final practice run in New Zealand that I just came back from. Uh, my final practice run is on there from one of the downhill runs. So that's a pretty uh, a pretty cool video. Um, you can definitely get a little thrill out of it too. Yeah, where can see we what see kind that? Kind of nutcase I'm actually what I actually am. <laughs> what I'm yeah really yeah doing. I need to see that. Where where can we see that one? Uh, also on Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. Instagram and YouTube. Them. Okay. Yeah. You'll find them on there. Um, you'll find a little GoPro video of me. Uh, yeah. Doing my final run before I, I go up for my race run. So yeah. Yeah. You can uh, all find it on there. Well, thank you for joining. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for listening to the Free Your Energy Podcast. Thank you.